Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 57 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. I've been inspecting this week, carrying out first spring checks on some of my colonies, and it got me thinking about how I use a smoker. So here are my thoughts. Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Welcome once again to my weekly podcast. If you want to catch up with the very latest podcast, do check out my Patreon page where you can get up to date with all of my content as we head into the new season. The last couple of days have been lovely spring days. Each day has that characteristically chilly start, but as the sun bursts through the clouds, so the day warms up, and around lunchtime, I'm talking t-shirt weather, and that's just fine for checking the bees. To be specific, I'm looking at something like 14 degrees centigrade. It's on the edge for beginner beekeepers, but most experienced beekeepers who can inspect relatively quickly can get into the hive and see what they need to see and get out without too much disruption. Also, and I know I'm repeating myself here, but know exactly why you're checking your colonies. Have a checklist in your head, or even write it down if you need a reminder. Size of the colony? Is it large or small? Food? Do they have enough? Brood? Is there a nice brood pattern forming? Eggs? Can you see eggs in any of the cells? Drones? Are there any drones or drone cells? Queen cells? What about queen cells? It's unlikely this early in March, but do keep an eye open. It's been warm. And what about the queen? But only if she's spotted, there's no need to waste time going in search for her. If you've seen eggs, then you've got a queen. And that's probably all you need on your list to start with. You can see most, if not all, of these things as you move through the frames with bees on, quickly and quietly, causing the minimum amount of fuss as you go. Finish off by moving all the frames back in place and close the hive down again as quickly as you can. Remember to write up your inspection notes and grab a cuppa while you think back at what you've seen and plan out your next steps. Of course, you already have checked over your notes prior to inspecting the colony, so most of what you see shouldn't be a huge surprise for the most part. I've already picked out three colonies that I intend to select as my queen-rearing colonies. You have got to be ruthless when selecting to raise queens, even if you have just three or four colonies. More often than not, one will stick out as a favourite, or there's something about them that will set them apart from the rest. It may well be that they're super calm, or perhaps they produced more honey than the rest of your colonies put together last year. Whatever it is, if you just have a few colonies, try to be very selective. Select one to choose to raise your new queens from. It will pay dividends in the end. I've inspected a few hives this week, and for the most part all of them are doing fine. The warm winter has allowed colonies to begin building up strongly, and some colonies are filling with bees nicely. That's not to say I'm going to rush out and add a couple of supers and a queen excluder. For me, it's just too early still. There's heaps of pollen coming in though, and that's great news, mostly from willow, bright yellow, and covering the bees from tip to tail. What I'm seeing are colonies with maybe eight or nine seams of bees and four or five frames of brood. A lot of that brood is capped, and so when that emerges, the colonies will have a sudden increase in bees, and that's when they're likely to need a little more space. 
that's the point that I shall add a queen excluder and a super. So I reckon around 10 to 14 days time, and that's way earlier than last year. We may be in for a good spring. Who knows? There were two colonies that have failed. Both have drone-laying queens, unfortunately. That's where the queen, for whatever reason, is unable to fertilise her eggs and can only lay unfertilised eggs, which become drones. One was anticipated, as it was a very late queenless colony, but managed to produce a laying queen going into the winter. They were a very small colony, and I just didn't think there were enough drones around for her to mate. So I was pleased when I saw she had mated and was laying fertilised eggs, shown by the patch of worker brood that I saw late last year. It would appear that something has gone wrong though, or maybe she just didn't have enough drones to mate with and has run out of sperm. Either way, the colony is now dwindling and needs to be sorted. The other colony to become a drone layer was a total surprise. Last autumn, the hive was a strong double brood colony with plenty of bees in it, and I had planned on splitting them into two single brood colonies this spring. Again, I'm not sure why the queen has failed, but there are lots of drones and large patches of drone brood throughout the brood area. No sign of any worker brood at all. A drone-laying queen is usually quite easy to assess as she lays unfertilised eggs in worker cells. These cells are too small for normal drone growth, and as a result they become kind of swollen islands of oddly angled cells in the middle of the frames where you would normally expect to see worker cells. Not at all like the deliberately positioned drone cells that appear in uniform clustered groups towards the edge of frames when the colony is actually trying to produce drones. It's a real shame as I had plans for this colony. Now all that I shall do is go back to the apiary and shake out the bees on a warm day and remove the hives for cleaning. Shaking them out will allow the remaining bees to perhaps drift across to other colonies in the apiary and not be lost. All of the colonies were quite calm and needed very little smoke which is always nice, especially at the beginning of a new season. And this is where I have to hold my hand up and say I failed with one of my promises I made myself last year. You may remember early in the season last year, I promised to see out the season by taking better care of my smoker and keeping it spotlessly clean all year. Well, I managed until about August, and then my cleaning routine seemed to nosedive. I'm not sure why, but it left me with a smoker that needs another good clean to get it ready for the new season. I do have another brand new smoker still sat in its box, but I'm loath to switch to that one on the basis that I can't be bothered to clean the old one. Both smokers came from the online beekeeping equipment retailer, Bee Equipment, and I'll put a link in the show notes to the two smokers that I have. The thing that both smokers have in common is that they use plastic bellows, which although they fall into a category of materials that I'd like to use less of, the smoker really worked well, and the bellows have held up well for a couple of seasons now. They obviously have some staining, but generally they're in good serviceable condition. Apart, of course, from the soot and grime that needs to be cleaned off. That said, a good wash and a scrape in hot washing soda will do the job, so I just have to stop procrastinating and get on with it. Now I have the workshop up and running, I can sort these smaller jobs out a lot quicker than from home. Well, that's once the water tap has been fitted. I'm still without running water at the workshop, but hopefully that'll be resolved this week or maybe next. All this chat about smokers made me think I should just go over the types of smoker I've used, and more importantly, the type of smoker fuel that I've used. 
As with most things in beekeeping, it comes down to the individual beekeeper's personal choice. It's what makes beekeeping so interesting. For the most part, you can keep bees differently from your neighbour and still both get really good results. It makes for lively conversation and debate at the bee group, sometimes too lively, but that's another topic entirely. I'll call it beekeepers who know best. The ones who insist you have to do it their way or you're doing it the wrong way. And a lot of the time, they're the ones that are doing it wrong. Anyway, back to smokers. I guess the first thing to say is you don't have to use a smoker. I know of some beekeepers who use other methods such as water or syrup spray, others who dust with icing sugar, all in an attempt to keep the bees calm as they inspect. I guess with differing levels of success, some beekeepers not bothering to use anything at all. For me, I've always used a smoker and probably always will. The gentle drifting of smoke across the bees seems to have an almost immediate effect for most colonies and it allows me to inspect calmly and carefully with the bees that are calm on the combs. If you've seen some of my inspections on video, you'll see that sometimes I hardly even need to smoke the bees once the initial use prior to the roof being removed. And those colonies are a pleasure to work with. Unfortunately, I also have some colonies that are incredibly defensive and require more energetic use of the smoker to keep them down. This, I think, is where experience and the help of a mentor can come in. Knowing when to use the smoker and how much smoke to give is a judgment call, and you make that on the basis of what you see and how your previous experiences have shown what works best for you and your bees. Just remember that when you can't see the hive because of the cloud of smoke and the bees are still bouncing off your veil trying to get at you, it's probably time to requeen that colony. The way smoke works to calm a colony is still something of a mystery to me. I've always been told that when you smoke a hive, the bees gorge themselves on food stores believing they're under threat and that full belly just seems to slow them down as I would be slowed down after a large Sunday lunch. But I'm not sure that that's entirely true. I've often opened colonies with little use of smoke and seen bees wandering around largely ignoring what I'm doing. I think it's more tied in with the smoke being a mask for alarm pheromones and the predisposition of that colony to be alarming, as it were. It stands to reason, then, that the more alarm pheromone the workers release, the more smoke you may have to use to mask that alarm. I'm sure there must be some good research out there showing exactly how and why it all happens, but for now, I'm just happy my smoker is lit and with me when I stand beside a hive ready to inspect. It's a bit like putting on a seatbelt when I get into a car. I don't think I'd feel comfortable now if I didn't do it, and I feel the same if I didn't have my smoker to hand when I'm inspecting my colonies. So that brings me to the type of smoker you might choose. There are, of course, lots of different types of smokers out there. The basic construction has been unchanged for quite a number of years. A steel can with bellows attached to blow air into the bottom of the can, and an outlet at the top to allow the smoke to blow out. The important thing to say here is please, please make sure you buy a smoker that has a guard around the main body. This will prevent you from touching the very hot metal and getting burned. And believe me, those smoker cans can get very, very hot. With it being so hot, it can cause a really nasty burn if you catch yourself or even forget that it's hot and try to pick it up by the steel body rather than the bellows. Most seem to come with a wire guard these days, and incorporated into this is usually a hook to hang the smoker from the side of the hive, if that's what you prefer to do. 
I tend not to use the side of the hive to hang my smoker on, as the smoke inevitably drifts up into my face and makes me cough. It's easy enough to grip the smoker bellows between your knees as you stand beside the hive inspecting, and then it's immediately ready should you need it. If you have room on your hive stand, you could set it there or beside you on an adjacent hive. Wherever you choose to put it, just make sure it's close at hand because the day it's not close at hand will be the day that you need it urgently. One thing here to note is that size matters, especially if you're inspecting a lot of hives at the same time. If you go for a tiny smoker with a small capacity, you'll be forever filling it up with fuel, or worse still, the smoker will go out at the very point that you need it the most. Go as large as you can, but make sure that it's comfortable in your hand and you're able to give the bellows a good squeeze to keep the thing primed and ready to use. That brings me nicely on to smoker fuels. Again, so many to choose from and personal favourites will always win out. If you happen to like the smell and type of the smoke that you get, let's say from Hessian Sacking, you might be willing to pay for Hessian Sacking for your smoker fuel. Perhaps you prefer the smell of fresh wood shaving smoke. You can get a season's worth of wood shavings from the local timber yard or pet store for just a few pounds. So personal choice is everything and here are some of the fuels that I've used and my thoughts on them. Let's start with Hessian Sacking as I've already mentioned. It's a great fuel, it stays alight well and it will smoulder gently in the smoker. One fill is plenty for most smaller apiaries. I've used it in the past when I've been able to get hold of some and it works really, really well. If I could get some more at an affordable price, then I would. Corrugated cardboard. This can be a roll of corrugated board or cardboard boxes torn and rolled into a cylinder. Both work really well and stay alight well in the smoker. My main concern about corrugated board is the type of glue and chemicals used in the process of manufacture. Most corrugated boards seems to be glued together with starch glues, which is fine, but some use chemicals to pulp the base material instead of mechanical methods. This may or may not be a problem. I've used it before, and I'll probably use it again. Just make sure that you don't use cardboard that has either painted surfaces or has that plastic covering to the front. Wood shavings. These I get from a local timber yard as waste material, and they charge... One pound for a bag as large as you can carry, and I can normally carry a large bag. It can cost very little to fill up the truck with wood shavings enough for an entire season, and still have plenty left over as bedding for the chickens on the allotment. It burns well once you get a decent bed in the bottom of the smoker, and is one of the most regular fuels that I use. Wood pellets. I've tried these and they work just fine, a bit like the wood shavings but more expensive. You can pick up small bags of pellets from the bee equipment retailers online, or you can buy them by the sackful at a much lower price. One drawback for both the wood shavings and pellets is that you need to put something in the top of the smoker to prevent the shavings or pellets from falling out into the hive. This can be accomplished easily enough with a handful of grass laid on top of the smoker box. Lichen. Probably my favourite fuel. I'm lucky as it grows around the lake apiaries I have close to my home here in Norwich. It appears as small mounds about the size of a large orange cut in half. I collect this from late spring and through the summer as I need it. It smells lovely, it burns well and keeps alight throughout the inspections. So those are the fuels that I've used and I'd generally be happy to use any of them to be honest but as I said the natural lichen is my favourite. If you can't get hold of lichen then any of the others will do fine. Or maybe you have a personal preference of your own that I've not mentioned. There are, of course, lots of alternatives. 
Whatever smoker type and fuel that you choose, just remember to stay safe and never light your smoker with your veil over your face. Before I go, remember to take a look at my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey, if you haven't signed up already. It's not too late and the new season's videos will soon be arriving with lots of tips and techniques for a successful beekeeping season. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Sweet.